Hi, this is Haley Beebe, the Carveline Color Admin. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Janus. All right, Paul, here we are. Episode number three of Coronaville. Yeah, I think that's about where we're at. I'm a little disappointed, Paul. Last week, to promote the episode and to show everybody we were working from home, I posted this great picture of the two of us doing this podcast through social media. And not a single one of you made fun of my mustache. I did. Well, yeah. (laughs) But there's a live picture on the Carveline social media that clearly shows myself with the goofiest mustache you have ever seen. Not goofy. It is dirty old man mustache. (laughs) But not a single comment. Not a single comment about said mustache. And, you know, it's a little disappointing. I thought you guys were better than that. I I thought I, um, you know, just thought you guys had something in there. So now I can't wait. You were looking looking for a little love. I know. I can't wait now for the responses that will come. I mean, because you've got enough pictures out there where you had a full beard. So this this is a difference. They should notice it. Well, yeah. And the story behind the the Corona stash is that I had spent a couple days, just, you know, a couple days, a couple of weeks. I hadn't trimmed my beard. So it was getting a little unruly. So so Mrs. Walker was not impressed with the unruly beard and uh, insinuated that I look like a <laughs> hobo. So I fixed it. <laughs> I went up to our bathroom, I got out the trimmers and gave myself the 70s stash. Yeah. Yeah. And it got by all of you. Or maybe you just think that's what it looks like and I'm not trying hard enough. <laughs> Embracing the inner you. Yeah. What What happened to Jack? Corona gave him a stash. No, Corona let his, his inner self out. Something like that. You know, I guess it's, you know, once you go over 40, whatever. Oh, absolutely. Yep. We're going to dig into the suggestion box for this one. One of our district district managers, I like it. that made me think of District 5 from the Mighty Ducks. One of our regional managers, Rick Brown, suggested that we should take a look at slip critical connections as it comes mm-hmm. to fain surfaces and bolted connections. And, you know, this is a topic that we've kind of danced around a little bit, but we haven't really addressed it as to... What is the difference between a class A and a class B slip certification or a slip coefficient? And I'll bet you a lot of you didn't even know there is a class C. Yeah, I actually learned oh. that myself this time around uh, doing a little research for it because we don't ever deal with class C here at Carbline. Right, right. And just let's get it out of the way. Class C is the slip certification testing for roughened hot dip galvanizing. So not something that that from the liquid applied coating side we we deal with or work with too often, but it does exist. Yeah, I think really where we should get off on on the right foot here and talk about what exactly is it that we are talking about. So with slip critical connections, bolted connections, this has to do with most commonly bridges. Yeah. And what we're talking about is I'm sure you've all seen when you're driving down the highway under a bridge and you can see I'm talking with my hands. So I know you can see the way my hands are all put together. So you see where two 
bridge I-beams come together and they butt them up next to each other. And then there is a big plate that gets bolted over the two of those, which holds those two end-to-end connections, those two butt joints, or that one butt joint, it holds those two ends together using bolts. And that plate, where the compression of the plate and the original I-beam come together, that's a slip-critical connection. Yeah, and what they're trying to determine there is what kind of friction is created at that spot. Because if there's a a significant amount of friction there, uh, they can actually reduce the number of bolts that they put into that connection. Right. And so the engineers that are out there are going to listen to us and, and ask why we're not talking about how big the bolts need to be and how many of them there need to be. Well, honestly, you guys went to a whole lot more school on that specific topic than I ever did. And I don't, I don't even want to touch it. That's because I'm not an engineer. <laughs> but yes, the where's our, where's you needed your rim shot there. Because I am not an engineer. Oh, that's the wrong button. Because I am not an engineer. All right. Hey, (laughs) be here all week. All right. (laughs) So really what we look at is the term slip critical joint has its own specific set of testing. And the two classifications that we normally hear the most about are class A and class B. Most of the time, for a bridge, they're looking for a class B for these types of connections. And a class B... I was going to say, this is, this is the one area in the entire world that I feel like we get along. Like, where a B is better than an A. Like, that, that is like my kind of world right there. Like... If we could do that, I'll be uh, summa cum laude or whatever at, at school if, <laughs> if a B was better than an A, like, because that's about the effort I gave. I mean, wait. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So when they do the testing, they're looking for a minimum slip coefficient of 0.5 or better. And by comparison, a class A slip certification starts at 0.3. So when they do these tests, and there are a lot of pictures, if you do a a Google search, you can find a lot of pictures for what these setups look like, but basically they do exactly that. They take two steel plates that they're roughly five eighths of an inch thick. They're about uh, four inches by seven inches. They smush them together. They put a bolt in it and then they apply pressure. So at the conclusion of that test, if they come up with a ratio of 0.5 or better, you've achieved a class B slip certification. If it's 0.3 to 0.49, you end up with a class A. We frequently see the class B is usually most often seen with zinc-rich epoxies, whether it's an inorganic zinc or an organic zinc. Usually it's uh, zinc-rich epoxies that get that. The class A is frequently found with just your standard organic epoxies. And really the big difference that you're looking for between these two is do you want how much of the coating system is going to be in between those two plates when they're bolted together? So when you want the class B, you wanted to be able to put zinc on both sides of those plates, be able to bolt them together and be able to achieve your certification of a class B slip test. And where you typically see 
the coatings that have this type of certification is, is we're looking pretty strongly in the zinc rich primer category here. And is that because the, uh, the heavy metallic load helps with these ratings, Paul? Yeah, it sure is. The zinc that's in a, in a zinc rich coating is really what helps us achieve these higher levels in most cases. So with that metallic fill, you know, sometimes you will see epoxies that have slip critical connection ratings. Usually, though, with epoxies, you don't see much higher than an eight. After they've completed the slip testing, one of the phrases that you're going to frequently see in these standards, they're going to talk about slip and creep. So usually the creep testing, it's a similar setup. Again, it's about a five eighths inch thick panel. Um, the dimensions are a little different, but primarily because they put two bolt holes in these and they do all of these connections are made with the standard, I guess, what's a, what can be considered a standard bridge bolt. A490 is the designation that they use in the standard and they bolt these two plates together and then they apply a force for a directional force to see how they, when they're pushed together at a, at a set compression rate. And then they're slipped across each other. And so that test itself is actually a pretty long test. That takes a thousand hours of testing that they do with it. And the primary focus is to see how much does the coating deform during that test. And they want to make sure that they're not creating a weak spot. So after you have gotten your slip rating, then you are able to submit to have your creep testing. Because if you don't pass a slip, you're never going to be in that condition. So there's no reason to do a creep test if you're never going to be passed to get in between those two surfaces. And this whole area, again, we're talking about that space and you've seen it a lot of times. I'm sure everybody has seen that I-beam driving down the highway on the back of a truck and you have the ends of it that look different than the rest of it. And usually that is a zinc rich coating that's on it. And they do it for bridges. They do it for stadiums, any large steel structure. You're going to find these and when they have a slip area where they're going to bolt those two together and they're going to look for a rating and that determines how many bolts and what size bolts they need to maintain the integrity of that connection. All right, Paul, and we have a couple housekeeping things to uh, get in order here. Uh, coming up in theory is the NACE Corrosion 2020. That'll be happening in Houston, June 14th through 18th. Like I said, in theory, theoretically. That's Paul, right. Paul and I will be there doing podcasts, bringing you more content that you love. But we'd also like to take a minute and tell you a little bit about Sanitile 755FR. That's right, Jack. Sanitile 755FR is a fiber-reinforced epoxy coating for walls, ceilings, and basically anywhere where you have concrete, CMU, or steel surfaces that you're looking to smooth out and create a more uniform appearance. Let's not forget drywall either, because if you remember back to YouTube, you saw what Paul and I did with a fastball and some 755 FR and a sheet of drywall. So it makes everything really hard. Basically anywhere that you can think of where the walls need to be protected from any kind of impact or need any kind of resistance to fungal uh, growth. This is your product, Sanitile 755FR, brought to you by Carbolite. Another important part of this testing is uh, cure times, because they don't want you bolting those connections together until that those products are fully cured. That's uh, another big aspect of this standard. What I will say is those feigned surfaces, that's the description of uh, what 
Paul was describing there where you see the other ends of it. They don't paint those because they need those slip critical connections. And, and most times the intermediate coat and the top coats do not carry those type of certifications. When you look at top coats, they're usually shiny. They're usually smooth. They don't have slip critical ratings. And so, you know, Jack, that leads us to probably the two biggest questions that we normally see when we talk about these slip critical areas is number one, can I put the whole coating system on this before we put it together? My primer's got the rating. Do I need to put, do I need to leave it by itself or can I put the whole system on and just finish painting? And like you just said, typically those top coats don't have those class B ratings. And in a lot of cases, they don't even have a class A rating. So you should not apply the full system to a slip critical area. Now, the second part to that question is, can you apply class B approved coatings from multiple manufacturers, one on each of those surfaces? And the real legal answer to that is no. The Any way that a, that a compression area is put together should be tested as such. So if you're going to have manufacturer A on your I-beam and manufacturer B on the plate that's being applied to it to hold everything together, those need to be tested as such if you're going to maintain the full certification. And that is unless your engineer on site signs off on it being different because they, they always have the approval to be able to make that determination. But from an actual certification standpoint, they both need to be from the same manufacturer and they should be the same type of paint. They don't have to be the same batch, but they should be the same type. Well, sure. And that kind of goes into any kind of area that will carry a certain amount of liability. You know, with these critical connections, there is a significant amount of testing and procedure that goes into them. You're not going to mix up manufacturers in these slip critical connection areas in the feigned surfaces, because if something were to happen there, you want a manufacturer to have a liability. If you have two different manufacturers there, it's real easy to do some finger pointing. That's right. One of the other questions that we get a lot is, can I, when I'm doing touch up or repairs out in the field for an area that's going to get a slip critical connection uh, coating system, can I do a different surface prep? You know, usually what you see is, can I do an SP11 or SP15 instead of the SP10 that was required for the original coating. And I'm sure you can suspect that answer is no, no. The, the main thing that you're looking at with these is you want to duplicate the way the testing was done. That's the only way the certifying agencies will stand behind it. That's the only way the coding companies are going to be able to stand behind it. You don't know how it's going to perform when you're putting it together in a way that is untested. Well, and let's put it a different way. The second that you deviate from the standard, you're now assuming liability for the results. That's right. One other thing that I it's think is kind of important when it comes to this testing is that I find it interesting that when they do the testing, they apply the material intentionally heavy before they test it. That's right. It's almost like they don't trust the applicators to have hit the targets. Yeah. So not only do you have to pass this testing at your recommended rate, because this is such a critical connection area and so much liability is in store here, 
they tested at a higher thickness and that higher thickness in theory, just when you hear us talk about different things, it's, it's going to be even more important for that coating to have these good properties because it's going to be harder for it to achieve them at those higher thicknesses. That's right. Well, about the last question that we normally see is how do I deal with the actual bolt hole? And to be quite honest, it's not really covered in this part of the standard. Your slip and fang surfaces just say, once you bolt the whole connection together, you're looking at a system that essentially is going to be the any empty space in the bolt hole between the hole and the and the screw thread, the bolt thread. It's going to be an airtight area. Everything has been pressed together at such a rate. Now, quite honestly, the bigger problem we see when we deal with those bolted connections is where somebody may have already put a coating system on it before some of the bolts were put in place. And then they put that big washer and that big, big nut on it. They torque it down. And then they crack the coating system that's on the outside. Again, this is not part of the slip and fang, the, a slip critical connection. This is totally part of the aesthetic areas. And you basically, you took a washer and you torqued it down onto the steel and you twisted it. So of course the coating system is going to break free on some coatings that aren't meant to under, to undergo those stresses. So you just do your standard repair procedures. You go in, you're going to remove any of the damage coating and reapply it because all of this is outside of the zone that's in the slip critical area. Sure. Reading the standard, one of my favorite parts about, or, or is the ebook, not the standard, there was about those holes and it showed a picture where one was kind of half painted and it was like, sometimes these get painted. You might want to do something about that. <laughs> and I know I'm paraphrasing, but it didn't, it didn't really offer a lot of guidance. It was basically like, you could paint them, you could not paint them. It doesn't really matter, but like, uh, you, you should address it, whichever way that is. Whichever way you decide to go, put it in the specification. And I don't know why I'm talking like this, because I'm talking about specifications, but I'm not going to stop now because I'm on a freaking roll. <laughs> you know, Jack, I think that really is the telling part is that interior part of that hole has nothing to do with the connection, the connected space. So therefore it's not addressed in the standards for slip and fang surfaces. All right. Well, I think that's about does it for us on the Carbolane tech service podcast. And now, you know, doesn't matter whether or not you paint the hole. We'll see you next week. And so for the Carbolane tech service podcast, I'm Paul and I'm Jack. Hey, We'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for your support. Who put the line in Carbolene? Who put the line in Carbolene? No matter where I go, they don't know what I mean. I say Carbolene.